All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Thank you for encouraging my heart to be prepared to worship. Thank you for encouraging each other's hearts in the same. Those of you who are joining us as guests, we have been studying through the book of 2 Corinthians for some time now. We'll do that for the rest of 2020. We try to look at one book at a time here at Grace and uh, research it as thoroughly as we can and preach it and apply it uh, in the same way. We're talking about ministry integrity. What do ministries that have integrity do? Paul's integrity here has been uh, slandered uh, by religious folks that have invaded the church of Corinth and even persuaded some faithful ones to doubt Paul's uh, ministry integrity. So Paul writes the second letter to them uh, to remind them of their own integrity in Christ and then to uh, underpin that reminder with what it means to not just be in Christ, but to grow in Christ's likeness. I would encourage you, if you haven't had the opportunity, or if you're a guest, to go back on our website and kind of review this compare contrast we've done. Uh, Paul takes that rabbinic tradition of comparing the lesser with the greater, the old covenant with the new covenant, and uses that approach uh, to remind and refresh the Corinthian heart believers as far as what ministry integrity is so they take ownership of this newfound relationship that they have with Christ and apply it properly. So go back and listen to those sermons if you have time. But for this morning, we're going to look at the last two verses of 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. We began this sermon last week, but the focus for this morning is going to be specifically on the spiritual growth, the power, the boldness, or if you will, the freedom that we have in Christ to grow in Christ-likeness. Let's read those verses together this morning. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with unveiled face, remember that comparison last week of Moses and the people of Israel, and then we as the people of Christ last week, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. This whole passage really crescendos to these two final verses because if you don't understand who you are in Christ, you will not be growing in Christ's likeness. If you don't understand who you are in Christ, you will not be able to grow in Christ's likeness. So Paul knew that the spiritual growth, the integrity of the spiritual growth of a, of a, a remnant of the church of Corinth had been upended. They had hit a wall, if you will, because of the influence of these Judaizers that had invaded this church. So he focuses here, now listen, now that we've got this thing settled of who you are in Christ, and it's Christ who takes this veil away and gains us access to God, and now we're able to investigate the character of both and grow in both since we've been placed into Christ. Now let's talk about what it means to grow. And by the way, growth in Christ's likeness is all by God's grace, just like salvation is in Christ. God's grace compels us to be saved, and after we're saved, the same compels us to grow, to become more like Christ. 
One of my favorite authors I read recently said, if you have met Jesus Christ, he has dramatically altered your life from the inside out. And his grace and power are too great for you not to be transformed. Conversely, another godly man that I respect said this, honoring a man, a tradition, a mere rule or regulation, because someone has convinced you to be afraid of what might happen if you don't, is a Christless motivation for being holy. Everything that has happened to us from salvation to spiritual growth has all been brought about by the grace of God in Christ Jesus. So having been once and for all transformed inside out by the grace of God in Christ, the Corinthian believers were allowing themselves to again be stirred up by the graceless pressure to honor rules by mere externalists. So in the final two verses of chapter 3, Paul, with divine confidence and almost with a regal announcement, reminds the Corinthians of their miraculous change that's occurred by grace from the inside out the moment they were born again. And he wants them to, to bolster their hearts by remembering these phrases as we go on. Now we're going to take the final phrases of these two verses and divide them up into three statements. We're going to look at the person of spiritual change, the people of spiritual change, and then the process. The person, the people, and the process of spiritual change. He begins in verse 17, obviously, by talking about the person. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Again, we've been studying throughout all of chapter 3, the contrast between the Old and the New Covenants. One author said, under the New Covenant, where the Spirit is the operative power, there is freedom. Under the Old Covenant, where law reigns, there is bondage. So when souls seek to gain acceptance before God by just keeping the law, they remain under bondage. The demands of the law cannot be fulfilled by man, therefore leaving souls in spiritual chains. So these religious ones, these Judaizers that had invaded the church, were teaching that dependence on the law could change men's lives. But again, only the Spirit of the Lord can bring that inward transformation. The law can only bring bondage. Christ gives liberty. So let's consider for a few moments the person of Christ and his work and the new covenant freedom enjoyed by us in our lives. Do you remember 1 Corinthians 15, 45 to 49? You don't need to turn there, but you can cross-reference all these texts in the margin of your Bible next to verses 17 and 18, if you wish. It's Christ who is the life-giving spirit Remember 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4? You can slip down there just with me if you will. It's right by our text in the next chapter. It says, In whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Christ is the life-giving spirit. He is the eternal one who is the express image of God. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15 says that Christ is the image of the invisible God. And in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3, the writer of Hebrews says, 
in one translation that Christ is the effulgence. He is the overflow. He is the completeness of the Father's glory and the impress of the Father's substance. Even in the Gospels, John 14, chapter 9, chapter 14 and verse 9 and chapter 1, verse 14, John records that to see Christ is to see the Father and to behold his glory is to behold the glory as of the only begotten from the Father. One of my favorite authors said to contemplate Christ who is the Father's image is progressively to be transformed into that image. The effect of continuous beholding is that we are continuously being transformed into the same image that is into the likeness of Christ, end quote. Our mission statement as a church speaks that we are to be evangelizing the lost and equipping the saints with the goal of Christ's likeness, growing in the character of Christ. So our mission statement has an aim, the glory of God. We have actions, both evangelizing and shepherding each other in the word. And we have an attribute in our church mission statement, and it's Christ's likeness. And we know that this attribute is developed over time. In Christ, the veil has been taken away, and we have access to a relationship with Christ. And as we keep gazing on the glory of Christ and who he is and what he has accomplished for us on the cross, this attribute will be and is being by grace developed in you. I also think we would be remiss today if we didn't take a brief moment to give attention to the person of the Holy Spirit and his personal work in divinely underpinning the person and work of growth in Christ's likeness. So as we continue today, have you ever meditated upon the work of the Holy Spirit in your salvation and in your own personal growth? The Holy Spirit was intimately and omnipotently involved with the personal, physical ministry of Christ on earth. His ministry to Christ was really, as you know from Scripture, from conception to death. And it was with divine consistency. By the power of God, the Spirit of Christ, the body of Christ is actually resurrected. By the Spirit of God, we are regenerated. John 3, 3 and Titus chapter 3 and verse 5. By the Spirit, our mortal bodies will too be resurrected. 1 Corinthians 15 teaches. And by the Spirit, we are chosen. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13. For salvation through the sanctification of the Spirit. So certainly we're thankful equally for the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our hearts who drew us and compels us to look to Christ and to be forgiven and then to grow. I would like for you to write down here in the margin of your Bible, Romans chapter 8, verses 1 to 17. We don't have time this morning to investigate that together, but for those of you, all of us, it's a great reminder, especially for those of you who are newer in Christ that have recently been saved. I would just investigate those 17 verses and just look specifically at the ministry of the Holy Spirit and his work in underpinning the ministry of Christ and then underpinning your drawing to Christ in salvation and then your personal growth process your hearts will be tremendously encouraged and 
that's one section of verses that really supports all that we've been discussing so far. So, growth in Christ-likeness. The person, really, or persons of our spiritual growth is all of grace. It's all of God's grace. And Paul continues to explain the freedom that we have to grow up into Christ-likeness when he says in the next session, section of words here, and we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. We all with unveiled face. I can't get away from the benefit of the doubt that Paul, again, gives to the Corinthian believers here, even to the ones who are doubting his own integrity. It's heartwarming to recognize his ability by grace to always assume that God's people will respond by grace to the word of God when it's spoken. So as we exist in this new covenant time, in the age of the church, we have unveiled bold access to God in Christ. And we, like Moses, was allowed to in Exodus chapter 34, that we read last week, have audience with God only in Christ. Moses had to climb a mountain to enjoy the glory of God. And we have the honor to boldly and spiritually be intimate with Christ and gaze for ourselves upon his glory on our own time without having to scale a mountain. We can enjoy him incessantly, and we should be. Of course, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 and 20, you can write that down, supports this for sure. So while all, the, all, all is certainly emphasized here, we should not move on from here unless we recognize the individuals who are part of the whole body. Spiritual growth includes grace compelling you to grow, and it will. Spiritual growth is you, all of grace, in confidence with God the Spirit, being molded into the image of Christ as we consistently gaze upon his character and his glory. This divine process is in part found in the next phrase. It says we're beholding as in a mirror. Beholding as in a mirror. This is powerful grammar here. This grammar is here is in the middle voice, which for those of you that don't know Greek grammar, that's okay. It just simply means that we personally make the decision to go. And this is, to me, this is an operative word here to understand in relationship to the nature of spiritual growth. Growth is all of God's grace, just like salvation is all of God's grace. Grace compels us to be saved. Grace compels us to grow after we're saved. But we do work in confluence with God in our growth towards Christ-likeness. And it's right here. God's grace compels our minds and our hearts to be disciplined to grow unto Christ-likeness. We behold. We are deciding ourselves to behold this glory as in a mirror. This phrase is often misunderstood to mean that we are to reflect the glory of God. I can say that there are other passages in the Bible that would support that reality. But in our immediate context, we are beholding, intently looking into or at the glory of which is God's in Christ alone. 
Looking in a mirror often reflects our physical flaws, doesn't it? We all experience that often throughout the day, especially in our mornings, right? But looking into this mirror that Christ speaks of is like looking at and investigating the glory and character of God. By looking, the Spirit of God transforms us into the likeness of God's character as we are in Christ. The context is clear. Just as Moses gazed with confidence as one man at the glory of God with unveiled face in God's presence, so we all in the church with unveiled face in Christ enjoy a bold approach and study of God's character in Christ. One author I was studying this week said this, if we were to ask Paul in what way believers behold the glory of God, his answer would be that they do so as the veils are removed from their minds and hearts, the truth of the gospel is no longer hidden from them. Thus it is in the light of the gospel that they behold the glory of Christ, who is the likeness of God, and they see the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And again, the, the goal of Old Covenant ministry is in keeping external standards. But that obedience cannot change man's character. The goal of the New Covenant ministry is likeness to Jesus Christ, and it's all developed by grace. So remember this, please, that law can bring us to Christ. That's what Galatians 3.24 says. It's our schoolmaster unto Christ. But only grace can make us like Christ. Legalistic preachers and teachers may get their listeners to conform to some standard, but they can never transform them to be like the Son of God. So I'm confident we can say that the Judaizers in Corinth compelled the church to remain in their spiritual immaturity. Since externalists teaching Adherence to rules and regulations can't change character than those succumbing to the false influence would have their spiritual growth stunted. And that's, that's a deep burden on Paul's heart right now. He knows that they have not been, or at least a remnant of this church has not been enjoying growing up into the character of Jesus Christ. So genuine spiritual transformation is only by the Spirit of God. Therefore, only growth in Christ-likeness and spiritual maturity is developed by the Spirit of God, too. And our passage today continues to say, and we all are being changed into his likeness from one degree to another. So the person or the persons of spiritual growth, obviously, we focused on Christ and the Holy Spirit. The people of spiritual growth, that's, that's me and you, individually and then together as disciplers and disciplees, and then together as a body as we investigate the Word of God in all these ways we discussed a couple weeks ago. And there's a process. There's a process. He says for a second time here, and we all. Paul assumes here that everybody that has been transformed by grace will grow in grace. Are you with me? Right. Can you let that sink in a little bit? I know that sounds really elementary. But it's the most simple things in Scripture are sometimes the most profound. Paul assumes that everybody that says 
that they've been transformed by grace will also grow in grace. And grace is pretty powerful. Grace will make sure that you grow. It will. The grace of God cannot help itself but to make sure that you grow gradually into the character of Christ-likeness. That's why when you're not growing, that's why you're uncomfortable in your spirit. And he says here, not to get derailed from the immediate context, he's saying here people that live their lives by rules and regulations and they evaluate other people's spiritual growth by how they keep or don't keep rules and regulations, those people themselves aren't even growing in Christ-likeness, so you can't even follow their lead. So he says, we all that have been transformed by grace will grow in grace. It's easy for me to assume when I stand outside and wave goodbye or shake your hand that you're departing prepared to grow by grace in Christ's likeness. Why? Because omnipotence is what it is. Grace is what it is. Omnipotence and grace, they do what they do. So teachers, pastor teachers, disciplers, let's assume God's people are growing because that's what God's grace does. It compels us to grow. And please hang on for the next couple sentences as we crescendo to the end here. In that spiritual, nutrient-rich environment, we address change that the gospel is bringing about in lives rather than exclusively focusing on the sin that once dominated those lives. Certainly Galatians 6, 1 and 2, Matthew 18, 15 to 17, uh, teach that believers can again be stuck in sin, but let's remember who addresses that sin first in their lives. If they've been saved by grace, that's the Holy Spirit of God, isn't it? If there's no response to the Spirit's conviction, the Lord steps in in loving discipline, Hebrews chapter 12. And their Creator has a say-so in their lives. And if they don't respond to that loving discipline of their Creator, if there's no response there, then God has given us a pathway, if you will, where we can step in as their Christian friends, as their disciple, and say, hey, look, I notice you're struggling. I know that's not been the hallmark of your Christian existence. The hallmark of your Christian existence since you've been saved is that you have been being transformed. And so I have seen God's grace operate in your life, but I see now that you're stuck. How can I help you? See the difference? A Judaizer would come down clear as ice and just as cold. Someone who's also been saved by grace and growing in grace knows too the tendencies of their old man to fall. And so like Galatians 6.1 says, you who are walking with the Lord, talk to that person who's struggling in a spirit of meekness and gentleness, lest you also be tempted. And then verse 2 says, if you do this, then you're going to fulfill the law of Christ, not the law of Moses. Long before we get to that rare and unfortunate time, rare 
an unfortunate time to just stop again. If you're discipling or maybe you're shepherding kids in your home, if you're always talking about sin in their life and your propensity is to always put your finger on the flaws of their life, maybe you should just stop and reconsider grace and how it operates. Okay? Always remember that with unveiled face we behold glory and we are being changed. That's what the text says. So as we continue, we should be reminded once again, our opening quote, if you have met Jesus Christ, he has dramatically altered your life from the inside out and his grace and power are too great for you not to be transformed. Jesus alters us internally that does affect us externally. And what the omnipotence of grace did when we are saved placed us into Christ forevermore, then by grace our growth in Christ commenced. And the wording clearly teaches that this process is consistently gradual. We are changed into his likeness from one degree to another. Literally, it's a present active indicative for those of you who are taking Bible courses in the Greek language. This is something that's happening all the time. We are all being changed, compelled by grace to grow into the character of Christ from the moment we're saved. And so for those who know their Bibles, for a long time you may remember Paul uses a word here that is only mentioned three times in the New Testament. It's a word where we get our English word metamorphosis. Paul uses the word twice in his own writings. You remember Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, where he describes the moral transformation of the growing believer. Do you remember that? Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's a moral transformation. Because we are saved by grace in Christ, we grow by the same, and our lives morally are changed. So Paul uses it here in Romans 12, 1 and 2, and the gospel writer use it to describe the transfiguration of Christ. In Matthew 17, 2, and Mark chapter 9 and verse 2. And when they use it, they describe what was to the disciples a physical transformation of Christ. Obviously, Christ can't be morally transformed. But he was physically transformed, and that's another message for another time. But throughout the New Testament, other words are used to describe moral formation or transformation or even physical transformation. Obviously, 1 Corinthians 15, 51 and 52, Philippians chapter 3 and verse 21 talk of that physical transformation that's going to happen for us at Christ's return, right? When we burst forth from the graves and we're given those glorified bodies, right? That's certainly a physical transformation. Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, speaks of our spiritual transformation, where we have been taken from death to life, and literally unto newness of life. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, we'll study a few weeks from now. It says, we're in Christ, we are new creatures. Old is passed away, behold, all things are become new. Paul uses language 
of circumcision and uncircumcision in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 15 where he says, but neither is circumcision nor uncircumcision anything but a new creation. We're made brand new in Christ. Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 33. Ezekiel chapter 36 verses 25 to 27 speaks of this inward change brought about by the Spirit of God, even in the Old Testament believer. Paul saw this expectation, this moral change, this moral transformation fulfilled even in the lives of his converts. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. Remember that list of sins he machine guns off? And he says to the Corinthian believers, remember these were things that you used to do. He says, but such were some of you. But now you are washed. Now you are justified. Now you are sanctified. You're being compelled by God's grace into moral change. So just as an investigation of passages from both Old and New Testament clearly teach us that what happened to us by grace the moment we were born again on the inside does influence our moral approach to life and to living. Another one of my favorite authors reading on the covenants that we've been discussing says, believers' lives approximate more and more to the likeness of God expressed so perfectly in the way Jesus Christ lived his life. Why? Well, the next phrase in our text explains it. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. We start with the person, we end with the person this morning who addresses the people who are part of the process of spiritual growth. All of this is accomplished by grace, by the Lord who is the Spirit. Now the word Lord here is the Greek word kurios. If you were going to um, translate this from the Hebrew Old Testament scriptures into Greek, which is the Septuagint, the word Lord here, Kurios, would have come from the Old Testament Hebrew name for God, which is Yahweh. Over 500 times in the New Testament alone, Christ is called Kurios. Christ is the I Am. He's the eternal one of God enfleshed as the Lamb of God to come to take away the sin of the world. It is Christ. But we read earlier in the book of Romans, 1 Corinthians 15, it is Christ who is the life-giving Spirit of God who brings about this change in our lives. God is the Spirit. God is Spirit to be sure. And for the New Testament believer, God, the Spirit, is the agent of spiritual change, to be sure. And that transformation is on a daily basis to be equally assured. But Christ is the Lord here. The Spirit of transformation, moral transformation. But also the Holy Spirit's activity is the major characteristic of the New Covenant as well. 
And the transformation of believers is wholly attributed as well to his work in our lives. So how have you seen the Spirit of God, how have you seen the grace of the Spirit of God compel you to be morally transformed into the character of Christ? Just think recently, how has God used his word? How has the Spirit of God has illuminated the significance of his word to bring about change in your life that mirrors more the character of Christ than your fallen character? Are you growing up in your moral decisions? In your thinking? It's a process to be sure. We're perfected in Christ, positionally, but practically grace compels us to constantly be investigated. Are my thoughts and are my actions looking more like the way Christ would have lived his life, or do they mirror more the way the world around me lives their lives? Certainly in all of our entertainment choices, we know the world around us is not thrusted by God's grace to become like the character of Christ. There's not any arena in the world outside Bible-based local churches that is desirous of being compelled by God to live like Christ. <laughs> We're going to study in the next couple of weeks, chapter 4, in the early verses, and it says, the God of this world, Satan himself, is, is blinding men's eyes to understanding the person and work of Jesus Christ. But in this environment, in this nutrient-rich environment of the scriptures, and as we disciple each other, we're compelled by grace to be countercultural in the way we live, to be distinctly reverent and joyful. This whole process of growth, to me, is just as miraculous as the day I was saved. I know to some here this morning, my good friends, you may not agree with that. But I would tell you that since grace saved me and since grace grows me, and I know me, the grace that grows me is just as omnipotent as the grace that saved me. My growth is not of me. It's of the person of my growth, Christ. In a lot of Bible-believing churches, I'm afraid that it's all of our tendencies to shoulder the responsibility of our own growth. And that's where we kind of get into trouble. And we get into ditches. And then we compare and contrast the way each other is living our lives. And we lose our gaze off of Christ who is our sufficiency and salvation and growth. Those can be dangerous times. But in Christ, by the Spirit of God, by the Word of God, we grow up into His character. And it is miraculous. Anytime anyone takes a baby step 
or an adolescent spiritual step or an adult spiritual step in growth in Christ's likeness, I worship God because that's him. That's not you. Grace is compelling you. And being governed by the Spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. That's Galatians 5. So I know you're being governed by the Spirit unto the fruit of the Spirit. That's all God. And I worship Him for that as we watch you grow and be morally transformed in the image of Christ and the way He lived His life. The omnipotence of the Lord interrupted the time, space, mass continuum of your life and directed your heart towards goodness and holiness. There remains really no rationale as to why or how your life changed except God by his grace did something big. So let's never forget the moment you were born again. Can I encourage you to revisit that moment as often as you possibly can? And remember, remember the chains fell off. Remember the burden was lifted at Calvary. Remember the void in your heart that was filled. Remember the joy that was given as you were freed from the bondage of your sin. And let's always remember that that same miraculous power to save you is that power to grow you. So visit the moment of your salvation as often as you can. So I'll ask you as we end, when's the last time you sat down and remembered the moment you were saved? I'd encourage you to do it more often than you have. I want to be subjective here or mystical. Remember how you felt. That was all by omnipotence. And remember, it's that same divine power that compels us to grow. So when you see someone stepping forward in the light of being transformed to God's moral character, thank God first and encourage them second. Thank God first and encourage them second. Let's always be reminded of how powerful and influential God's grace is to grow us. All right? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we love you. Thank you so much for the influence of your word in our hearts this morning. May we always remember that you are the God of salvation and you are the God of growth towards Christ's likeness. And we thank you for the omnipotent work of your grace in our hearts through your word as we study it personally and then collectively we hear it preached and taught I pray Lord that as first excuse me as Philippians chapter 1 Lord says that we would grow in love and in knowledge and in discernment and in excellence together as a body and realize all that growth is underpinned by help from heaven in Christ's name we pray Amen